Welcome to The Rich Report, a podcast with news and information on high-performance computing. Today, my guest is from Cycle Computing. We have the founder and CEO, Jason Stoll. How are you doing today? Hey, Rich. It's good to be here again. Thanks for having me. Well, well, well thanks for coming on. You know, uh, I saw your announcement today. This is very interesting. You're doing some work with the Broad Institute, um, an institution that does cancer research. Yeah, so the uh, the cancer group, it's a, basically a program they have over at the Broad, and, and that's a collaboration basically between MIT and, and Harvard is really set up around different areas of research. So they're one of the largest genomic processing centers, uh, the Broad Institute is, but they, they have a group that's specialized entirely on uh, cancer research. And in that group, they, they have a lot of really interesting data. Actually, uh, they've got, you know, cell lines for different forms of cancer, the mutations that are affiliated with genes inside of that cell line that may or may not be related uh, to the disease itself. Um, they have the expression data uh, for those genes, so the RNA. They have information about small molecules that may uh, interact with the expression of those genes and, and what have you. So these, these are very massive data sets that they have available to them. And what, they're, what they were interested in being able to do was run a machine learning algorithm against various aspects of that data set in order to build a map of the relations between um, the different cell lines and, and genes that they're tracking so that re they could direct future research efforts uh, based on you know, what seems like it's related. So if you're essentially working on a particular cancer and you want to know, all right, are there any other genes? These are, this is the gene cohort I'm working on. Are there any other ones out there that I should be looking at? This map essentially analyzes all those massive data sets and, and tries to um, uh, provide that information uh, to the researchers. So it's kind of a it's kind of a cool use of machine learning, actually. Yeah. So so you guys provide uh, services to help ramp up on the cloud. Don't doesn't the Broad Institute already have you know plenty of compute resources? Yeah. So the, yeah, the, they have essentially a, a large amount of internal compute. Um, they which is oftentimes spoken for, right? There's numerous situations where where you may have uh, researchers that are struggling to get time on the internal machines because some priority, you know, Ebola came up and we had to go process a, a set of uh, genomic data around Ebola. And I know the, that the Broad did that, for example. So when those kinds of events are happening, um, you know, there are various use cases where external capacity can be helpful. Um, and in particular, in, in, in this case, you know, I think um, this is really kind of an analytics machine learning um, algorithm, but it's also very compute, it's data light and compute intensive, so it essentially looks at the metadata about a lot of these, these data sets, and it runs um, uh, a significant number of core hours, about 30 core years, if you will, it's something that would take, you know, months on the capacity that this user would have gotten on the internal systems um, to run, and they wanted to be able to get the results back, you know, faster than that. So right, so that's not practical for one researcher to tie up all their machines for months at a time, of course. Right. Right. Exactly. So, so we basically, we basically, you know, they had indicated a, an interest in enabling. You know, they have um, essentially software from us. So our, we we actually provide just a, a software tool chain that makes it very quick to get uh, batch computing, big data, kind of analytics, these classes of workloads 
up and running on external resources. So in this case, we had at moderate scales, and by that I mean you know, low thousands, um, we had this workload, an example, part of the data set running 90 minutes after getting it, and that's primarily because you know, CycleCloud as a software product has uh, representations for cluster types and components and things that make it very easy to, you know, in this case, create a univagrin edging cluster with a shared file system and orchestrate the data and orchestrate the workflow into that environment um, easily. So, um, so that that was a big that was a big step for us from a practical standpoint because it, it proves that you know in about an hour or two we can get workloads that we've never even seen before up and running on a, cl- a, a cloud platform that we hadn't worked with. You know, this is our first, um, you know, public use case of working with, with Google Cloud Platform. And from an infrastructure standpoint, you know, I think the, the Broad was interested in enabling, you know, Google's capacity. It provides with the preemptible VMs. They have a really cool offering that gives you inexpensive compute, um, analogous somewhat to AWS's spot instances. That um, that you can essentially use to run you know high throughput workloads and and this was definitely a kind of a machine learning analytics high throughput you know workload. Well, look, could you help me out with this? I mean, I haven't heard this term before. The preemptible VM. What is that exactly? So, so the notion is this: um, you, you know, if you need a, a machine and you want it to be up all the time, then you you get a normal VM and it it costs you know. Let's say uh, you know 15 cents for the instance uh, to run. I'm just picking a number. Um, essentially, if you're uh, if you're or 10 cents an instance hour. So if you're running a preemptible VM, it runs at 30% of the cost of a, of a normal instance. So so it would run for three cents instead of 10, for example. But as a result, the instance itself can get preempted. It can get turned off at any point uh, and interrupted. So from a, a practical standpoint, um, you know, you have to be running a workload on it that any of the, you know, the instances that you have out, uh, if they're preemptible VMs, they could potentially go away on you. And you'll get a 30-second notification that they're going to go away. And then you, you essentially have to react to that and either, you know, try to get more capacity or just leave it off, you know, depending on, on, on the workload, it may change, you know, kind of how you interact with it. So, so what we were doing was essentially writing a connector from uh, CycleCloud, which already handles these kinds of events uh, on other external capacity, and be able to do that on the Google platform, be able to support Google's preemptible VMs, and enable the users to just, you know, turn that on as a flag. It's an instance type that they can now use is, yeah, I want the high memory instance with 32 cores, and it's okay if it's preempted, and I, I want the cheaper price for that. Um, the thing that's really nice about Google in this case is that they have a constant price for that, um, for those instance uh, types. It's purely, you know, it is the price is what it is, and they either have the capacity or they don't. And from a, a tactical standpoint, um, you also get per-minute billing on those instances. So you don't have to worry if, you know, you, your calculation takes two hours and five minutes. You're not wasting the 55 minutes until the three-hour billing mark. You can turn it off in the sixth minute and only get charged for the two hours and, and that six minutes in the second hour. Um, very easily. So, so you basically have a lot of opportunity to run 
highly performant infrastructure at a cheaper cost, uh, enabling workloads that you might not otherwise be able to run. Right. Um, and that's sort of the part that's exciting about it. So in this case, they, they needed something with a, a lot of cores, didn't they? Something like 50,000 or something like that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we, we the application itself, that was a, a natural scale point uh, for it. Um, we As we worked with the, the workload, it actually um, made a great, it was a, a terrific, um, it was a terrific uh, uh, fit because it was exceptionally straightforward to understand basically this iterative workflow that, you know, ran some stuff, then figured out more things that needed to run based on the results that had gotten prior, submitted more work, analyzed that, submitted a little bit more work, analyzed that. So that iterative type workflow, uh, it turned out that it was it was high throughput, but it also had you know, kind of a natural point where 50,000 cores, the 3,200 instances we were running were a, a really good, you know, efficient, uh, from a cost standpoint, um, way to run it. It's, like, you know, one of those large distributed system kind of optimization things. We have, we have ways of telling in our software, you know, whether just like you would on a normal box in the house, is the load average on the file system, is that the bottleneck? Does it have to do with the, you know, the scheduling environment? Um, you know, all of those sorts of capacity issues 50,000 cores turned out to be right for this workload. And then, um, yeah, we, we spun it up. We got it up and running in, a, you know, in about half an hour. The exciting part about this is that when more researchers realize they can get a 750, you know, uh, uh, R-Max uh, teraflop machine for $700 an hour, <laughs> you know, um, it's going to really, big compute's just going to blow the, the lid off of big science. It's one of those things where we really should enter a uh, renaissance, if you will, in terms of um, the use of computational science because it's that much more accessible. You do not have to have millions of dollars to buy a 50,000 core machine. You can, you can sell three empty racks of hardware that you used to have and use that money to buy four hours on a uh, you know, on a, on a 50,000 core machine in the cloud. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that, that's really exciting. I mean, making that kind of big compute more accessible, kind of the mission you've had at Cycle Computing all along. Of, I'm just curious, I mean, is is Google able to stand up that kind of instance for any kind of extended period, or does it just vary by the day? Yeah, no, it, it, our experience was that any time we asked for capacity, we had it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that we ran at, at 50 was because the workload seemed to have, you know, getting it beyond that didn't make sense from a bottleneck kind of scale perspective inside of the workload itself. Um, so, so 50 was the, the, if you wanted to return the results back the fastest, but still be able to, um, you know, still be able to, uh, have it be cost effective that was the right the right scale so our our interaction with with the external cloud providers that we've interacted with so far is that you should think of them all as kind of bottomless buckets um, the infrastructure on Google was good it was solid it ran it was fast um, uh, the preemptible VM pricing model is is very understandable it's a you know it's a straightforward price um, and from a, a tactical standpoint, the permanent billing allows you to run big workloads where, you know, the second half of the hour on an instance, you don't have to worry about it. You just shut it off. Um, you, 
end up with white space where you're you're waiting to hang around to see if any work shows up on the off chance that it does before the bill out the billing hours up. You know that kind of stuff happens, which is which is really funny because when I started doing this in '07, you know when we were running large workloads, we had stuff going on AWS. Like the notion that you could turn a server on or hour is was crazy. It was you know completely you know just heads exploding, Mars attacks, you know, movie style. Um, but when you look at it now, like, our usage has evolved so much, um, you know, whether it's some of the pharma guys that are, are doing workloads uh, externally, whether it's the Broad, whether it's manufacturing or insurance and finance, all of those areas have some calculations where it's massive numbers of them and they're all very short. So having to turn things on and off on a minute basis can actually be incredibly useful. Um, so we were, yeah, we, we definitely, um, uh, we think it's great that the customers have this option. Um, it was great that the Broad, you know, we kind of followed the customer. The Broad wanted to enable um, access to this kind of capacity, and, and it happened that the preemptible VMs are um, now out and generally available. So if, if you actually look at the, the average HPC user's use case, internal capacity is great for tightly coupled workloads. So when you're running WARF or you're running CFD or an FEA workload, you know, InfiniBand becomes important. Running that on your internal machine makes a lot of sense. But there are frequently in those environments, you know, jobs that are, are not actually using the InfiniBand interconnect. And so if you're talking about a resource that may be oversubscribed in terms of its user base, bursting to cloud and taking the ones that don't use the interconnect run well in cloud, generally speaking. It also happens that those jobs would be very friendly to preemptible VMs because, again, it's a throughput workload. It's not like an MPI job where all eight servers have to be available all the time. In the, through, in the throughput workloads that you would want to run on cloud and not on your internal box so you could make room for the InfiniBand jobs, you know, preemptible works great. It's a you know, if one of the nodes goes away, no big deal. I'll just start the job on another one and, and get it running again. So, so we, think, we think this class of workload, you know, is going to be a, a, a big one relative to traditional HPC users as a way, a stopgap, a, a valve essentially that you can open up, take advantage of external capacity when you need to, and uh, turn it off when you don't need it anymore. And those workloads align very well. The ones that you would want to move off of internal infrastructure, so you can use your, you know, your MPI jobs on the internal infrastructure, are are the throughput ones. And those throughput workloads are preemptible friendly. So this is definitely something everybody should be looking at. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jason, it's really exciting to see the cloud computing kind of you know expanding with these kind of technologies and seeing how cycle computing is the enabler. And um, um, I want to thank you once again for coming on the show today. Yeah, Rich, thanks for having me. And obviously, I hope you have a great Labor Day. Thanks again. (laughs) Okay. All right, folks, that's it for the Rich Report. Stay tuned for more news and information on high-performance computing.